I think that's a that's a faulty premise we have in our heads. That's just again we've been sold this this vision that isn't necessarily true. And the fire movement is kind of a response to that. Is yeah. designing your life in such a way, enabling passive income, making short term sacrifices, right? We're not talking yes. super long, right? Over five or ten years, so that you can be your age and my age and still be able to enjoy the finer things in life, to spend time with your family, to travel at will, right? To, to, to have the finer things in life. Welcome to the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll not only learn how you can achieve massive success in multifamily real estate investing, but also how you can simultaneously pursue great relationships with your family and a better walk with God. You can achieve financial freedom through real estate investing without sacrificing the relationships that mean the most to you. Now, here's your host, Lee Yoder. All right, three full listeners, uh, I got a real uh, great guest for us today. Uh, become a friend of mine, John Dionico. Uh, he's in my uh, multifamily mastermind uh, that, that we just started a few months ago. I've uh, really got to know him pretty well and, and have a lot of respect for him. He's down in Atlanta um, doing uh, single family rentals uh, mostly, um, but he's got a full time job uh, in the corporate space doing uh, advertising, marketing, sales, uh, stuff like that. I've been doing that for a long time, been very successful at that. but. Uh, got into real estate a while back and it has done very well there. Also, uh, John's going to teach us today a lot about um, the FIRE uh, method, the, the FIRE theory uh, that, that's kind of, um, you know, kind of caught on uh, with a lot of people. I feel like it's a lot of millennials are, are, are big into that, but um, non-millennials as well. But um, anyway, John, I, I've, I've talked too long without uh, saying welcome. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Lee. This is great. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming. I'm really excited to get into, you know, your journey and, and what you've done. And then, um, yeah, like like I mentioned there, I really like to learn more about the the fire uh, method. That's something I don't. I mean, I, I certainly uh, buy into it. Um, you know, I, I think maybe I do things a little bit differently, but I, I'd love to educate our listeners on that a little bit. Um, but why don't you take us back, uh, John? Start us off where um, anything you want to tell us about your background, your history, and all that. But um, specifically, tell us, you know, what you were doing before you ever started in real estate and then what led you to get into real estate? Sure. Um, so, so as you mentioned, I've spent most of my career about 20, 20 years or so in advertising sales, digital media sales. Mm -hmm. So I've worked for a variety of different startups. I've gone and gone through that acquisition process by major companies. Um, and frankly, it's been a really fun ride. It's been just um, obviously very exciting times over the last you know 20 plus years in, in, in advertising. Sure. Uh, see changes have happened there. Um, but I think probably for me, mid-career, I started questioning the, you know, what I wanted long-term and, and if that was going to be the thing for me. Did, did I want to you know, climb the corporate ladder? Did I want to become an executive? Did I want to manage a team? Did I you know, want to be this big guy in digital advertising? And, and I kept coming back to the answer. It was no, like that's not, that was <laughs> not for me. Yeah. Um, and so- Why is that, John? Why, why was that? All things considered, you know, I've always been kind of an independent guy, kind of an independent yeah. thinker, and yeah. you know, there is a there's an element of corporate life that just uh, is so much of politics and sure. playing the yep. game, and you know, frankly, like family is really important to me, and having the flexibility to spend time with yeah. my kids, and you know, going to their sporting events and being there for you know my daughter's gymnastics on a you know Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. That flexibility is really important. And you have to sacrifice some of that when you're Absolutely. making that play up the corporate ladder. And that just wasn't for me. Yeah, so yeah. 
Um, so about mid-career, you know, I, I was doing really well, making good commissions from from my my sales. Um, and frankly, at that point, I was not married, didn't have a family yet, but I was, was making money. I was like, okay, what happens when you start to make a six-figure income? Like my my overhead's pretty low. I eat ramen noodles here, right? I don't I don't drive a mm-hmm. fancy car. I don't need a big house. So what what do I do? What what do wealthy people do as they start to accumulate money? And you know the answer, as you know, right? I keep coming back to real estate as as a vehicle. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so I started doing research, and and honestly reached out to a, a guy on on LinkedIn that became my mentor. And I said, hey, I, I see you went to Auburn. I went to Auburn University. Um, I see you're a real estate investor. Can we grab coffee? And you know, fast forward 13 years from 2007, and he's been my mentor for quite a while, and has taught me the ropes and kind of what he was doing. And it's been a very lucrative play for me. So um, it, yeah, that, that's kind of how I got my start. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. And I mean, I think so many people can relate to that. Um, I, I had a very um, similar kind of epiphany because as you get in the corporate space, I mean, anybody that's, you know, somewhat ambitious and competitive, I mean, you kind of get in and you're like, man, I'm, you know, the sky's the limit. That, that was me. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. You want to. All right. I'll just jump back in. Go back and edit it out. Yeah. I'll okay. just edit that out. We'll jump back in. Yeah. But we, when, you know, the sky's kind of the limit as far as if you just keep working harder, keep putting in more time, um, you can you can make more. You can you know get the promotion. You can move up. But once you start doing that, you realize very quickly that as much as you gain, you're also losing on the other end. I mean, yeah, th- there are some absolute sacrifices. And yeah, you get to a point, especially when you, when you have a family, or, or at least you know even when you're starting to think about having a family, realizing some of those sacrifices are, are going to be a pretty big deal. I mean, so yeah, I can succeed over here in, in business and on the corporate side um, and making more money and have more responsibility and you know. While I'm at work, it feels great. It feels like I'm the, the king. But I mean, yeah, you're giving up a lot. I, th- I think a lot of people have that same realization. You know, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head is this there's, there's this time value equation, right? Time value and money, right? And yep. at some point, you have to figure out how to get, even if it's limited funds, how to get them to work for you as opposed to working for the dollars. And yes, if you want to become an executive, if you want to get the stock options, if you want to do those things up the corporate ladder, there is an extreme sacrifice that you have to make in order to be successful, yeah. but it requires a lot more time and a lot more um, just grind at the job that frankly, you know, it's not worth the trade-off in my opinion. So I, th- I think you hit yeah. the nail there. Yeah. I, I came to the same conclusion and some people don't, and those people end up, you know, I think the route for them then is passive investing. But if you can, you know, if you decide to not trade so much time um, for, for more money, but you're still making up, but you're right, John, you, you have to, um, you have to, you have to make more than, than your expenses. Um, so you were obviously doing that. Uh, yeah. Cause if you want to start investing, you, you need to learn to, to save some money and um, you know, spend less than you make. Um, so, so you're doing that. Uh, you find a mentor to introduce, you know, well, you kind of were already introduced into real estate, but this mentor kind of starts showing you the ropes. Um, so how'd you jump in? What was your first purchase? Like, what would you start doing? So uh Classic uh, first real estate deal mistakes. Uh, I bought my mm. first property in 2007 at the, the peak of the market. Yep. Um, I probably overpaid for it um, and then promptly made every mistake a, a beginner newbie real estate investor could possibly make, right? I, I'm from New Orleans originally. I rented to a Katrina evacuee family after the hurricane, kind of <sighs> bought into their sob story. They trashed the place, stiffed me on rent. Uh, obviously, then the financial crash happened. I watched my property go from you know seventy five thousand dollars on paper to maybe fifteen twenty thousand dollars know, in book value. So I'm watching this thing and I'm kind of like you know just holding my head in my hands. I'm like, what have I done? Like this is so stupid. 
But that's when I realized that just having rigor, having a process, right? Like it's, it's one thing to dabble. It's one thing to, um, you know, buy a place, you know, on a whim. Yeah. To really be, and you know this, right? To be a long-term successful investor, you've got to put processes in place. You have to have, you know, metrics that you hold yourself accountable to. to. You have to buy a deal that makes sense on day one. So I learned through the kind of school of hard knocks and had the good benefit of, you know, being able to snap up quite a few properties at the downturn, yeah. 2010, 2011. Um, but learning on those properties in order to kind of establish a portfolio over the years and, and really just... Uh, mastering that model and replicating it over and over again. Yeah. So you're buying single family homes, yep. um, learn there pretty quickly. Um, yeah. You learn about the market cycle. There, there's not always a lot you can do with that. And I, I think yeah, you made just a really good point of you got to do your homework, do your research, but you also just got to stick with it. I mean, I'm sure John today, I mean, you just round up. What do you think that $75,000 property is worth? So that property, I know for a fact today, it's still in my portfolio. It's worth $150,000. Okay. Yeah. It's been paid off, right? I no longer have a mortgage on it. Gee whiz. And it yeah. cash flows about a thousand dollars a month. NOIs probably, you know, five six hundred bucks a month, right? So, you look at the Mac. You look at the numbers, right? If you actually look at the metrics of that deal, and it's been a B plus deal, right? It, whereas yeah. on paper, on day one, first 12, 18 months, I just kind of floundered, and it was it looked like a, a dog. You 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 nailed it, right? Like the the mantra is not. Uh, wait to buy real estate. It's buy real estate and wait and yes, smooth right. out all those lumps over the long haul. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. What a great example of that. And so, you know, you, you improve your processes, you improved, you know, how well you are, how well you do it, you know, picking the right properties, picking the right residents, you know, taking care of it, stuff like that. How are you, um, John, tell us a little bit about how you're able to purchase more and more properties. So obviously you got to keep saving the down payment, right? Because are you putting... Are you putting 20% down on every one of these houses? So I've done it a few different ways over the years. Um, honestly, when I was first getting my start, uh, some of these properties, I mean, your your listeners will laugh at this, but there are some properties that I put on my credit card because they were so dirt cheap at the downturn, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I, have, I have a property in my portfolio I bought for 7,500 bucks. I have another couple that I bought for between 10 and $15,000, right? And like, wow. that's not replicable, obviously, in this day and age, but like, I think the the mantra and, and what I would tell your your listeners is that um, do what it takes, right? It requires some sacrifices early on when you don't have capital, when you don't have connections, and you've got to make things happen. And I was after getting the taste of that first deal and knowing there was a seed of something there, even though I made a lot of mistakes, was seeing this vision of like, okay, if I can get this thing stabilized and working, what happens if I have three or five yep. or 10 properties, right? Mm -hmm. It's just scale at that point because I have the processes in place. Um, so yeah, I kind of fought, scrapped. Um, I borrowed money from my mother-in-law to buy a property, paid her back with interest, right? So really was doing everything I could to get my hands on as, as many deals as possible. In fact, what's funny is I knew this model was so good and the timing was so good in 2010, 2011. I went to bank after bank after bank. I put together this whole business plan. I'm like, guys, if you will give me just a million dollars, I can turn that into four or five million. And I would have, but no banks were lending right now, as you yeah, know. know. Like it was yep. just the craziest times of our life. Um, so it became a great opportunity. I wish I would have had more uh, capital then than I have now. Um, getting back to your original question though. So I have done mortgages. Uh, I've done some cash deals. Okay. The, the method I prefer now 
just for me, it's kind of some, a little more simplistic is buying the properties cash and then refinancing them on the back end with a portfolio loan. So okay. go out there and, and buy two, three, four properties and then take that to a bank and say, hey, I've got these five properties, the cash flow, here's NOI, here's, you know, here's the expense statement, et cetera. Can you give me a 70, 80% LTV loan on the back end and tap the equity in those properties and kind of wash, rinse, repeat? And it becomes this leapfrog cycle where we leverage the properties that we have that are already producing income to go out and acquire more. Uh, and so I found that to be a super um, aggressive strategy, but also one that just is just easier, right? You don't have to you don't have to go through five or six different closings, right? You go through a single right. closing to get the loan on the back end because you're paying cash for everything else. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So is this still like, so you're buying, you know, these single family homes, what now 75 grand a piece. I mean, so you, you're buying four, you're paying, you're putting 300,000 of your own money to buy four houses. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, as you know, the market's white hot right now. It's tough to find a good deal. Um, yeah. And frankly, my, my kind of acquisition spree over the last few years came to a close last year. Um, so my average acquisition price last year was probably still about 90 grand. Yeah. I've got clients that I'm coaching now that we, we can't find a, a good deal for less than 110, 120, one year later, right? So right. my average acquisition price was 90, right? It's it's 20% higher year over year just in, 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 in 2020. So uh, it, it's definitely gotten harder and harder to good, find a good deal, as I'm sure you're, you're aware. Yeah. But the portfolio loan, that, that's important, John, because if you if you just go out there and buy single family homes, um, a lot of people know that you can get a residential mortgage on that. Um, you know, so it is a little bit easier to get than a commercial mortgage if you're going multifamily. But then if you're just going out and get them yourself, John, the bank is going to stop you at 10. Right. They'll give you you're yep. about to get 10. But what you start doing is, is going to a different bank and saying, well, hey, look at these. Look at these five of the 10 that I have. Yep. They're all doing that. I got them all rented. You've got a rental history. And it's like asking the bank to buy into this little business that you have. That's exactly right. And you say, these five, and I mean, let's, so let's say you've got a mortgage on each of them. Let's say, you know, I don't know, five houses are worth a hundred thousand or you bought 500, five houses for a hundred thousand. You pay for less for that. But let's say, you know, you owe 70 on each, each of them. So you owe 350,000 on these five houses, but now they're worth 120 each. So you tell the bank, you know, give me, you know, a four hundred thousand dollar loan on these five. So now you're you're getting a little cash back. Or even if you just said, you know, just pay pay me out. So, you know, your money's out of them. You've now got this new loan on five houses that you're now you're just paying instead of five different loans on five houses. Yep. You've got one loan with one bank, one payment for five houses. And by the way, you probably pulled all your capital back out. So now your your returns are, are infinite. Yep, Lee, you you hit on a key concept, right? And it's that, this idea of like you can call it interest rate arbitrage or like debt arbitrage, right? But I think like it's very common practice in the multifamily market to use creative ways to finance. I, I don't find that your typical mom and pop investors really clued into what's available in single yeah. family homes. So yeah, we've brought some of those kind of, I would call them more advanced strategies for multifamily into the single family space. I would recommend to your listeners, absolutely go out there. Money is cheap right now. You can get a typical mortgage rate for less than 4%, right? Even, even for an investor, four, four, four and a half percent, you should maximize it. That's virtually free money. Yeah. But to your point, you eventually get to a wall where you're maxed out at 10 loans and then you've got to find creative ways to finance. And, and that creativity, I think, is what sets apart, you know, a mom and pop kind of casual investor from ones that really make that leap to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, you you want to be safe, and I mean, you, you know, you, you've you've been slow and methodical um, and, and and safe with your investing, but also, I mean, yeah, what we're saying is, if you're not using some leverage, if you're not using banks' money at such a cheap interest rate, you're really messing out, and and yeah, you're just not going to be able to scale. I mean, if it were, you know, John, you just buying them, hey, I got to put twenty percent down on every property. And, and, you know, especially in a market like this, if people think I'm going to buy one house at a time, put 20% down every time, dude, you either making a, you're either making a ton of money to be able to do that and, and even be able to buy one house a year, yep. or you're just going to be very slow. And I, yeah, I was just talking to a guy yesterday and he was looking at it and he's like, I think he said, it, you know, it took him 10 years to buy eight houses because he had a full-time job and that's how he was doing, just putting 20% down on every one. So it takes a long time to save up again for another 20% down on your next house. So, you know, it took him 10 years to buy eight houses. And he kind of realized, like, I think he was making like 25 grand a year off those houses. And he's like, well, really to retire comfortably, I want to make like a hundred. So he needed to do that three more times. And he's like, well, it took me 10 years. So that's another 30 years. He's like, well, that's when I was going to retire anyway. So like it didn't, I mean, it's going to help him pay him more in his retirement, but it's like, yeah, it's not getting me in there. Quick. So again, that, that's an okay path, but just know that that's kind of how it's going to be if you just do that that slowly. Well, you know, that, that story is actually similar to mine is from 2007 to about 2015, right? I, I dabbled. I was, you know, it was a part-time side hustle. You know, I had a yeah. busy day job, had young kids, right? And I, I was doing that. I was picking up a house or two here or there. You know, I put some in my self-directed IRA. I was kind of mm-hmm. doing real estate on the side like many of us do, right? And then about five years ago, I had an epiphany. I went for a run one night. I'm like, okay, the things that I do work and they do want to they work on a small scale and I was making almost that exact same number. I was making like 20 or $30,000 a year net passing. I'm like, okay, but like, that's not life changing, right? That'll right. take care of my car payment and maybe, you know, allow us to eat out a few times a month, but that's not life changing income. And so I, I had this epiphany. I'm like, it clearly works. What if I went all in? What if I completely changed my mindset? You know, obviously got buy-in from, from my wife and said, honey, if we do this plan, I think we can escape the rat race in, in the next five years. And sure enough, you know, fast forward five years, we've, we've exceeded the plan that we put in place. Wow. Uh, we are on the, the precipice of, of doing that now and, and, and escaping our day jobs and the sky's the limit, man. I'm only 42 years old and I, I see a, a bright future for us. And, and that, that, that promise coming to reality is, was nothing more than focus on a really solid plan. Yeah. That, that's, that's really exciting. And I guess, you know, looking back at what I, what I just said, you know, you, you kind of said it better. Like, I don't want to downplay, you know, the, the path that you were originally taking and what this guy did. If you've got a job and and you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm just going to work this job until I'm 60, 65, but I don't want to just rely on my 401k. Um, I don't want to rely on social security. So I want to take my investing into my own hands a little bit and get into real estate and buy a house every couple of years. I think that's a phenomenal plan. I mean, I've always said, like, I don't think everybody has to be as active as you and I have been, John, but everybody should invest in real estate. Absolutely. Buy, yeah, buy some rental houses. So if, if you just kept on that plan, John, and you were cool with working and, you know, like everybody else during retirement, but when you retire, you own 20 houses and your buddy that did the same thing owns zero houses. Yeah, you're, you're, that's great. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. But yeah, if you get to the point where you say, well, yeah, what if, I mean, what if I want to retire before 65? What if I wanted, what if I, at 45, at 50, I wanted to work part-time? Yeah. What if I could have enough houses to 
supplement my income enough to like where I, I only work because I want to. Then we're talking about something different. Then we're talking about buying more than one house every couple of years. And um, yeah. And, and so that's what you end up jumping into. Lee, Lee I'm going to give your, your listeners an exercise that I think is helpful. Right. And I think okay. the, the main thing, and I, I'd love your opinion on this. Well, the thing that separates people that dabble or maybe never get started in real estate investing and those that, you know, make some headway or succeed is getting beyond kind of the paralyzing fear, right? It's just, yeah, this is a sure. different thing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, my financial advisor doesn't talk about this. Right. Oh, I know the drill. I, I put my money in my 401k, right? Like if you can break through that barrier and the exercise I did was play the, the, the absolute worst case scenario game, right? Okay. Yeah. What happens if I buy all these properties and I can't make the mortgage payments and I lose my job and my wife leaves? Like you go down this path and you you picture just the absolute worst case scenario. And what you do is if you get to the end of that trail, is you realize, uh, you know what, I'd, I'd get another W-2 job, right? Or, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd figure it out. Or, you know, I'd, I'd sell these properties, you know, maybe at a loss, but, you know, I wouldn't go into foreclosure. Like the worst case is almost never as bad as you think. Right. So once you power through that wall of fear and can realize that the only thing stopping you, the only thing limiting you is your lack of plan, your lack of focus, your lack of belief in yourself. And if you can get through that, it's, it's gravy from there because you, yeah. you realize that there's an end in sight. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great exercise. And, you know, when my wife and I first got into it, I mean, she's she's very good at the worst case scenario. She can come up with some crazy worst case scenarios. Right? <laughs> How's that even possible? But our, our first, uh, we decided to flip a house to get started. That was the first thing we did. And we were in a position where I said, look, worst case scenario is we put money into this. We can't sell it and we can't rent it, which I can't imagine not being able to rent a house if you lower the rent low enough. But mm-hmm. even if we couldn't do that, we can afford the mortgage on this house. Yep. So worst case scenario, we're paying two mortgages to live in one house. That's not great, but yeah, we're not on the street. We're not getting a divorce over it. You know, like we're fine. So I think that's so good. And we do that. And the other thing I was going to say about that, John, is I think that's where um, having a mentor, having some people you can talk to helps so much because your mentor, you know, we're looking and go, John, worst case scenario is actually you just sell the house at a little bit of a loss, right? Like that's the type of guy that can say that, like, no, John, you're not going to lose your own personal house. Like this is separate. You would, you would, you would sell it. And John, in that area, you think you're going to get $800 a month in rent. So let's say worst case scenario, you can only get 600. Are you still paying the mortgage? Yeah. Okay. So you're not making good cash flow, but your resident is paying off your mortgage for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're breaking even. So yeah, I think that's, that's critical is to get some people, you know, on your side that can speak into you like that. So that's really good advice, John. So, um, yeah. Um, so congratulations on all, all the success and where you're at now. I think it's um, just, I, I love your story because, um, you know, in a similar way to mine, you, you've taken a different path, but it's just a story of how really anybody, I mean, anybody with, with at least your, um, you know, your persistence, um, your, your ability to, to, you know, to make, you know, a bit of an income and save some of your money, they can follow in your path. Um, and, and two things. things I'll mention, right? There, there's, there's no one way to skin a cat, right? In real estate, nope. there's a million different ways to make money, right? You can wholesale, you can do multifamily, you can do industrial, right? Like there's infinite ways to make money in real estate. So it's about finding the path that's right for you yep. uh, is really the key thing. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. 
Yeah. And so, John, let's transition a little bit into the the, the FIRE method. Um, just a, a quick background. T- tell us what that is, kind of why it's gotten so popular. Um, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a proponent of what we call the FIRE method. Um, so FIRE stands for Financially Independent Retire Early. And I think what's happened, and particularly coming out of the, the downturn of 2008, 2010, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Was this realization and this kind of wake up call that trusting the experts, playing the game by the rules, you know, putting your money in a 401k for 40 years, 50 years. Um, well, that's a path to retirement. That's that's a really, uh, we talk about that kind of compromise between time and, and, and money. And for me, this idea of hanging it up when you're 70 years old and then I'll travel and then I'll go to Paris and, and do those things is yep, the a golden, trade-off. Then I get the golden years. That's right, my golden years. And hopefully yep. your health holds up and maybe you can travel for five or 10 years before you're, you know, you're too old to get around, right? So I think that's a, that's a faulty premise we have in our heads that's just, again, we've been sold this, this vision that isn't necessarily true. And the fire movement is kind of a response to that is designing your life in such a way, enabling passive income, making short-term sacrifices, right? We're not talking super long, right? Over five or 10 years so that you can be your age and my age and still be able to enjoy the finer things in life, to spend time with your family, to travel at will, right? To, to, to have the finer things in life. So the fire movement took off and it's been really popular in gaining steam over the past 10 years. And there's a couple of different flavors, right? One element of fire is cutting costs, right? And I'm a yeah. big proponent of cutting costs. And, you know, if cutting your cable bill and, and, you know, going with, you know, a streaming TV service does trick for you, great. If it's, you know, not eating out as often, great. That's like I'm the a, minimalism, kind of the minimalism side. Yeah. Of it. Yep. Yeah. So, the, so that's kind of the core fire is, is maximizing income while minimizing cost. And there's the lean fire piece, which is really living super lean, right? Like we're talking mac and cheese for dinner, you know, living in a low cost of living city, you know, keeping all expenses as minimal as possible. And I've seen stories of uh, guys working at Google, living in their van in a parking lot. Yes. Those guys, right? (laughs) Part of that's a function of how expensive it is to live out in 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 Silicon Valley. (laughs) And part of it's, you know, a, a mindset. I don't know about you. That's not, that's not for me. Right. So I'm no, a proponent of what I call what the movement is called fat fire, right. Is living the lifestyle that we're accustomed to in our W2 jobs, right. Where we make a good income. We, you know, we have benefits. We, we're not forced to make a ton of sacrifices. We're not, we're not living a, a luxe lifestyle necessarily, but we're living a lifestyle that is bigger than the average lifestyle comfortably. And that's what mm-hmm. I try to enable my clients to do is figure out that path for them, turning that W-2 income into passive income that allows them to live that fat fire lifestyle. Yeah. So John, John, compared yourself compared to say some of your coworkers, some of your friends, you're not living that much differently than them. You may be, you're probably cutting some costs that they don't, that they don't think about. So you're able to save a little bit more money. Right. And then probably the big difference is just that how you invest Correct. That's exactly right. Yep. So then, so then you're setting yourself up um, on a path just to retire much quicker than than your coworkers. Yeah, and and really all it is, you know, you you kind of nailed it. Is is how everybody's got a set number of dollars that come into their household every month. How you allocate those dollars, how you invest them, how you yep. make them work for you, as we talked about earlier, right? Like that's the thing that is going to enable me to have a lifestyle unlike my peers over the next 20, 30 years at an earlier age 
-hmm. by making some kind of short-term decisions and sacrifices perhaps to, to get that lifestyle earlier. And that yeah. was so important to me. That was kind of our defining why is I knew I didn't want to be that guy hopping on a plane two weeks a month to go visit clients into my fifties and sixties. Like I didn't want to be that old sales guy. Yeah. Um, and so I was hell bent on, on making sure that we had a plan to, to avoid that. Yeah. I love that. I'm right there with you. So lean into that a little bit, John, tell us like, what are, what are some of the sacrifices you've made that maybe some of your other coworkers haven't as far as um, not spending, like, I don't, I don't know, not having some of the things that you, based on your salary, uh, you and your wife, you know, what, what you guys bring home, what are some things maybe you could have that you guys have decided to not have right now so that you can have more money to invest to, to, to retire earlier and, yep. and, you know, travel a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, well, let's be frank, right? Like we, we've made a very good living in our W2 jobs. Like we, we're very nicely compensated for what we do, but we've also made sacrifices along the way, right? Like we, we don't drive brand new cars. We drive used cars. I mean, I drive a 2014 Hyundai, right? Like I, I see friends of mine that have a brand new Beamer that have two or three leases going at any given time. They have a thousand, 1500 bucks a month in car payment. We yep. have two cars, but we keep it to one payment and we keep that payment minimal because they're used cars, right? Yep. So again, uh, are you getting from point A to point B? Yeah. Does it do the trick? Are, are you flashy? No, you're not. That's an, that's an outward display of wealth, right? Whereas we're, right. we're definitely playing by the millionaire next door kind of mm -hmm. game plan. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, I've got friends, I, I watch them, they have, you know, they belong to the local country club and they pay, you know, thousands of dollars a month in fees for that. Or yeah. they go on crazy vacations. I have some people that are, you know, mid thirties, forties, and they bought a vacation home and right. Like those things are great. Right. I don't, I, I like to golf. I like to go hang out at the lake with our friends, but at the same time, can I postpone that by five or seven years and still have the lake house ultimately, but just not have it at 40 years old. And I think those type of trade-offs, if you can get in sync with your spouse and, and you know, put that plan together, yeah. you know, we're going to defer these things, but just hang with me and we'll be in much better shape. Yeah. Yeah. Because so why, you know, why, why defer them? Why, why defer them? Well, it's, it's so that you don't have to, to be in the grind for, for so long, right? It's not just like, yeah. Hey, someday we're going to be super wealthy. No, someday we're not going to be bound to our job someday, you know, someday we could go part-time, you know, someday we could have, you know, more time. And it's because of, of, you know, how investing works and how compound interest works. And like, there's that yep. a theme of like, you, you kind of need to do the earlier you do it, the better. I mean, if you wait till you're 50 to invest, you, you don't have so many years for that to build, but if you can start early and start young and make sacrifices earlier. And I think, I don't know if to me, like the way God created us, the way we are like as humans and, and the way, you know, time goes on, when you're young, like, I just feel like you shouldn't need all the luxuries anyway. Like you're young and healthy. You don't need a, 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 a Cadillac when you're yeah. old and it hurts to sit <laughs> in a hard seat, like then get a Cadillac, you know, but like when you're young and, you know, um, jump, tell us about like, how's that been with your kids? Do you feel like you've, you've caused your kids to, to sacrifice as well? I mean, um, what ages are your kids and, and what are some sacrifices maybe you've asked, asked them to make and just how, how's that gone with the family? Uh, so my son is 10, my daughter's six, nearly seven. So we are in the midst of virtual homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So I think we're, we're all kind of learning some sacrifices yeah, in this sure, environment sure, right sure. now. Um, you know, what's interesting is, is my son, he's, you know, he's getting to the age where he's starting to think about money and like, it's just, he's at that age where we're trying to teach him some concepts and trying to tie uh, his income, like expectations for what we expect him to do 
chores wise. He's asking, he goes, Oh, my friends get a, a, an allowance of like five bucks a week or five bucks a month or something. And I'm like, Max, if, if we see you doing the things that we expect you to do, like just for being a member of the household, then we will talk about, you know, what an allowance looks like for you. Yeah. Um, if anything, I think my kids are frankly growing up better than my wife and I's uh, childhoods were, right? They yeah. certainly have more than we do. I think the biggest thing for us is trying to instill in them that sense of gratitude and, and yep. being happy Absolutely. with the things that you have, regardless of what they are, because we are yep. so much better off, as you know, Lee, than so many yes. people. And we, we literally, we talk about having an attitude of gratitude in our household. And it's, 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 it's a mantra we live by. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, almost every kid in America is in the top 1% of the world, yep. you know, when, when you, when you go that big. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I know, uh, John, just from knowing you, I, I know you guys still travel, you still do some things, but I know, I, I think you guys like camping, stuff like that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty cheap way to travel even. I mean, and, and still get to see, you know, God's incredible creation all over the place. Yeah, we're, we're big uh, outdoors folks. We love to camp. We, uh, we've got a, a mission as a family to kind of knock all the national parks off of our list. I think we've been to That's nine awesome. or 10 of them so far. So yeah. uh, I think we, we broke our kids really early and, and got them hiking at an early age That's so that awesome. they don't, you know, whine and complain. So highly recommend <laughs> yeah. it. It's the I best, think that's uh, normal. Yeah, exactly. It's the best time you can spend with your family, I, I believe, just being outdoors Absolutely. with them and, and having yeah. them appreciate, you know, nature. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to highlight that because I, I just feel like it and everybody's different. I mean, you know, maybe you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth and, and we like that stuff and some people don't. But I, I just I feel like the sacrifices that you're talking about. I mean, we're not talking about going without meals. We're not talking about, you know, yeah. kids wearing raggedy clothes. But I think there's a lot of people in America that, that could buy into this, this fat fire method uh, that, that you advocate for, John, and get into investing like you and I both advocate for and uh, just really set their families up for for a, a much better lifestyle that's just going to benefit your family. I think we live in an instant gratification society, right? Sure. Where everybody wants it now. They want the best. They want the biggest, right? They watch the Kardashians, right? There's this culture of wealth and money and achievement that is frankly a little toxic, I think. And mm -hmm. I think it's our responsibility as parents to instill in our kids that that is not the way the world is or should be. Yeah. And it's our it's our job to put responsible humans out there that are, you know, doing things the right way. And if, you know, if I leave this earth and do nothing more than, you know, have those two advocates and have raised them the right way, I, I, I consider it a job well done. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, John, um, well, well, we'll get into that later. First, um, what would you say um, you kind of hit on it? So maybe it's just reiterating it. But what would you say is the key ingredient for somebody that wants to succeed um, I'll say as a, as a real estate investor, um, maybe you tie into that, you know, something that would succeed with the fire method, but specifically just someone that maybe is thinking about getting into real estate investing kind of the way you did. What's a key ingredient for someone like that to succeed at that? You know, it's cliche, but you just got to get started, right? I, I meet a lot of guys that are armchair quarterbacks. They've read tons of books. They listen to podcasts and they just never get off the couch and they never do that first deal. And, you know, the story I told earlier is you're going to make every mistake in the book, right? There's nobody, I mean, you've made countless mistakes, I'm sure, in investing. Yep, I've made you know, more than I care to even share. But those are the learning experiences you have to go through. You can't get from a book to achieve success. And I think doing just a single deal will tell you if you have the, 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 the temperament for it, if it's for you. Yep. But, you know, once you get the taste of a deal or two under your belt and, and just get that you know, like you get the bug and, and people yeah. get it and then it becomes, you know, it's kind of contagious and you just, you just yeah. got to do it. It's something we got to do. 
And absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I was just thinking back to, to the way you were explaining your first deal and how like you did everything wrong and, and then the, the value of it dropped. But I, I'm guessing you were probably still sitting there going, okay, but what I'm getting for rent is more than what I'm paying in my mortgage and my expenses. Yep. Right. So you were sitting like, okay, so like this does work. Like I'm making money while somebody else is paying off my mortgage. Well, and I think the key is, right, I had read books, right? I had done my research before I yeah. dove in, right? I, I understood the importance of finding a mentor. I had, you know, read up on metrics of deals and things like that, right? So even though it wasn't working for me, I knew it worked, right? You just, yeah. you only have to read so many financial books before you realize like, hey, wealthy people own real estate, full stop, right? <laughs> yep, that's so it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure out, like I'm, I'm kind of hard headed that way, but I'm going to make these work for me, even though they're not working now. And I think yeah. that distance and powering through it is key. Absolutely. So, uh, John, coming uh, to your family, you know, if anybody has any uh, faith that they follow, but like, what's a key ingredient while you're while you're doing all this? Because you get a full time job, you know, and uh, you and your wife both, and you guys decided to on the side, you know, pick up the side hustle of investing in real estate. What's a key ingredient? Um, maybe you can kind of share with us how, how you and your wife go about like ensuring that um, you're keeping your priorities straight and make you're making your wife a priority, you're making your kids a priority. Um, how do you, how do you maintain that while, while working and getting into real estate? You know, I think we're really key on balance, right? I think people can become career people or they can get blinded by ambition. And we try to stay very, very grounded. We're very big on kind of eating family dinner together as a team every night. Right. Um, you know, even when it was normal times and we were traveling quite a bit for work, uh, we were ensuring that we were never both on the road at the same time and always one parent was home in the household and never really had a lot of collision there. Um, we always try to make sure too that we're putting our kids first in terms of, you know, being there for events, making sure that they're doing what they need to be doing in school. And those are the things that are really our priorities. And yeah, the real estate and the investing, the side hustle, like all that stuff's kind of a means to an end. But it's not the driving force, right? It's about family. Yeah. It's about we want to take a bunch of really kick-ass vacations as a family. Like I, I'm recognizing now that I've only got eight years left with my son in the house, which is yeah. you know, you've got little kids, right? Like that's kind of my oh, that we're like more than halfway done raising our son. And I don't want to look back with any sort of regret over the next eight or ten years of missing time with my my kids and and you know, not doing right by them. So that's that's really yeah. our defining why. Oh, it's so precious and it goes so fast. Yeah, I, I just, it, it really kills me when people, you know, talk about, well, you know, when my kids are older, when they're older, you know, when they're older, I mean, man, they, well, you can it, play it that fast. game forever. Yeah. yeah, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. And because I know people that told me that five years ago and I look and like, your kids are older now and like, yeah, they've done nothing but climb the corporate ladder and working even more. So yep. yeah, it, it, it's hard. Um, John, do you have a, a favorite quote that, that you live by uh, or yeah, anything? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it's a Chinese proverb and it says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, right? Yep. So you yep. can't do anything about your previous actions. You can't make up for lost time in the past, but what you can do is take the right action starting today and make yeah. tomorrow about the right actions yep. and kind of put that one foot in front of another. And um, I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in this uh, space. We've talked about some of them over the years, but like, uh, having that mentality of always making progress day to day is really yes. and just get started. Yep. Yeah. What about a, a book recommendation, John? Um, you know, whether it's real estate or maybe, maybe something along the fire side. Uh, you know what? Like you always hear the rich dad, poor dad type of stuff. You know, frankly, 
I think the concepts in there are good, but uh, I'm a big fan of like Robert G. Allen, multiple streams of income. It's a really okay. good one. It's okay. an old one. Um, I've also read a lot of Michael Masterson stuff. Again, when I was planting those seeds of what I wanted over the long term, I think reading those in my 20s was a, a big thing for me. Yeah. Just learning the power of compound interest and investing and maximizing returns and just having that mentality um, is what you've got to have as an investor. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to start understanding the concepts. I mean, I just think so many people have to first realize like there, there's just this different way of doing things and, and cause it's work, save, um, put your money in 401k. It takes kind of some books to go, wait, there's, there's people out there doing something completely different or at least something extra, yes. something on top of that. Yeah. So that's good. Any, uh, family related books, any, any just kind of life related book recommendations? Uh, you know, I, this is not, this is applicable to business, but also, um, to, to family and it really anything in life is the one thing. Yeah. That one. Yep. Love that one. Just clarity of focus and removing the clutter of everything else and telling yourself, if I do this one thing and do it right, there's a lot of smaller things that kind of ladder off of that, that will fall into place. But if I just do this one thing and defining that one thing, yeah. Uh, give you clarity of purpose and it makes, man, it makes things smoother and cleaner and easier because you, you remove the fluff, the cloud, and just focus on the things that are important. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do that. I mean, it, it's very powerful in business. I'm mean, investing, but like, it's very powerful doing that for your wife. What's the one thing I can do to serve my wife really well yeah. today? I mean, yeah. he talks about that in the book and yeah. So I think it's, that's a great book. Um, John, I, I usually ask, how do you like to give back? Um, or how do you plan to get back in, in the future? Maybe maybe there's a way you do that. Maybe this is where um, we can talk a little bit about what you're doing now as far as the education on the, the fire front. But however you want to take that question. And then I do want to get into um, what you're doing uh, as far as educating people on the fire method. Yeah, you know, we've my wife and I have been talking a lot lately. And as we kind of close in on our FI number and kind of look to the next 20, 30 years, we spent you know, a good portion of our early careers building wealth and making money. And we're at this point now where we we're, we're very focused on how we do, we want to give back. So I'm I'm on the board of a few charities. We're act, very active, and uh, we have some friends that lost a daughter to this disease that we've um, been very active with, and we raise money for that. Um, so super focused on that. And I think that's going to be the next phase of our life is really putting our time and money out there to to better people's lives. And you know that's you mentioned awesome. Batfire. That's that's a real estate coaching company I founded um, last year and. Frankly, it's just taken off better than my wildest dreams. And really it's about empowering people that are in a similar position. You know, you have this kind of career couple, they're making good income, they have their financial life kind of figured out, right? The basics, right? Student loans are paid off, right? They've got a mortgage, they're maybe on the Dave Ramsey plan, like the no debt yep. plan. Yep. So they've got their act together, but they need that kind of push, that mentor to get them to the next level. And that's what we're focusing on. And, and my goal is to, find, identify, and turn a hundred people into millionaires over the next five years. And awesome. uh, we're off to a great start. And uh, yeah, we'd love, we'd love to help anybody that's interested. Well, I was going to say one thing about that. I mean, I just think of, you know, just some people I know where they're, they're doing everything right by, by what you're supposed to do and what we kind of talk about, like whatever it is. So I know some people that, yeah, the only debt they have is their mortgage. Um, you know, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, they're going to have that paid off. They're saving money consistently. And by the time they're going to retire, they're gonna have at least a million dollars, maybe maybe 1.5. But John, I don't know if that's gonna be a good retirement or not. You know, 20 years from now. Um, so anyway, but what you're telling them is like, hey, one number one, 
I think I can help you um, turn that one or 1.5 into three or four, but also I think I can help you get there without working all the way to 65. Um, So yeah, I I think, yeah, I think people should reach out to you. Um, I I love the, I love the the method. I mean, there's not a lot of people that that doesn't resonate with. Oh, I get to retire early and have more money. All right. Well, let's see. I'd love to hear you out. <laughs> yeah, I'd lo- love to hear it. Yeah, how that might happen. So uh, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, Sean? Uh, if they, if they uh, need more information. Yeah, you can visit my website, fatfiregroup.com, fatfiregroup.com, or you can email me just Jean, J-E-A-N, at fatfiregroup.com. I'd love to chat with anybody. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes and, and put that out there so people can can easily access that. But um, great. Um, and John, I always like to, to wrap up. Um, how might my listeners and I be praying for, for you and your family in the coming weeks? thing that you guys have going on you know i think we want to i think collectively as a country we want to close out the next three months and have a nice clean election have a nice (laughs) uh a nice peaceful transfer of power and kind of hopefully get things back on the rails around here so uh i think if you could just pray for our country my my family and i we're doing just fine um but uh, yeah yeah pray for some of the chaos that's going on around you right now absolutely i think a lot of people would second that that's great (laughs) Lee, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for the, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me on your show. And uh, if there's any way I can help, let me know. Absolutely. Thank you, John. You, you've provided so much value, and I, I hope people reach out to you because uh, I think you've, you've really got a, a good a good plan there, a good vision uh, for a future that I, I think is a lot better than what people might think is possible for. Awesome, man. Thanks, Lee. Hey, take care. God bless. See ya. Thank you for joining us for another great episode. I hope you'll take action on what you've learned today. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving Lee a five-star rating and review. And check him out on threefoldrei.com. Until next time, 1 Timothy 6.17.